Welcome to another episode of The Perfect Puzzle. And this time we're going to talk about goats. Uh, but before I get into talking about goats, let's just have a word of prayer and center ourselves to hear what God has to say. Father, thank you that we can study your word. And Father, I ask your filling of the Holy Spirit for my teaching that the words that would be spoken would be your words, Father. I ask you to be with those who are listening, wherever they may be, and that something said would touch their spirits in, in this study. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before I get into the subject matter, because uh, we're going to talk about goats, but before I talk about goats, let's uh, go over to Matthew chapter 15, verses 11, starting at verse 11. Uh, the story of the prodigal son, uh, which is found in Matthew 15, verses 11 to 32. Uh, I was reading it the other day, and I am struck by the verses 29 and 30. Uh, in these two verses, the older brother's angry, and in berating his father about what his father has done for his, his younger brother. And the older brother says, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and you know, thou, thou never gavest me a kid that I, make, may, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Now I never noticed before the level and severity of the sarcasm that the old, the older brother is directing toward his father. Uh, you know, and also in this story, pay attention to what's said because a kid is a baby goat, and goats are not favorite animals in Scripture. Sheep are. Jesus is the good shepherd, but he's the shepherd of sheep, not goats. And that's in John 10, verses 14 through 16. Now, before I get any further into any of this subject matter, I want to tell you I am not, nor have I ever been, a shepherd. My familiarity with sheep and goats, it ends after cartoon characters and mattress commercials. Now, I used to feel like scriptures involving the concept of God's church being a flock, or of us being a sheep, or Jesus being a lamb. Now, those kind of things went right over my head. For instance, in Matthew 25, the analogy here, which is intended to help me understand something more, always just left me more confused when I was younger. Now, let's uh, read on in Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In these verses, uh, which many people refer to as another of Jesus' parables, Jesus says a day will come when he will separate the sheep from the goats. So there's a significant difference between goats and sheep in Scripture. I always had questions about what Jesus is talking about. Why are the sheep and the goats separated? Why are sheep better than goats? Why does one earn, earn a reward and the other earn punishment? How do I make sure I'm not a goat? What if I'm a goat and I don't know it? The analogy continues to describe the works of the sheep versus those of the goats. Why is that? What inward difference produces such different outcomes? Now, I found some answers to those questions. I want to tell you about them. First of all, the separation of the sheep and goats is not a parable. You know, there's no suggestion from Jesus as he begins most parables or all the parables. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It isn't really about sheep and goats, but it's a very well-known teaching. And verses 35 to 46 are most commonly interpreted as an encouragement for followers of Jesus to care for the poor. In the narrative, there are three groups of people. The sheep who are placed on the king's right, the goats who are placed on his left, and the least of these my brethren, who are the ones who are hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, sick, and in prison. The story itself is very memorable. Now there's a fourfold structure of dialogue and the six experiences of the least are grouped into three pairs. There's hungry and thirsty, stranger and naked, sick and in prison. In each of the four repetitions in the dialogue, this list of six things gets slightly compressed at, at the end. Now that's the kind of structuring to Jesus' teaching is common in Matthew's Gospel. It makes it very memorable. Now, the most common interpretation of these verses distributes the people groups in the following way. The least of these are the poor in general. The sheep are the followers of Jesus obeying his teaching here who care for the poor rather than just having a theoretical faith. And the goats are those who neglect Jesus' teaching. And this becomes a general argument of the importance of caring for the poor. But that interpretation has only been around since around 1850 and kind of raises issues about how we should respond to novel interpretations, by the way. But in fact, this interpretation has some serious problems and obstacles. The first is the issue at the heart of the narrative itself. When the king invites those on the right to come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, they respond with complete surprise. And the king has to explain that whenever you did this for the least, you did it for me. And likewise, those on his left are also surprised to have met the king at his moment of need. If the narrative were about helping the poor, those who help the poor, having read this story, would hardly be surprised to find they had been doing as the king asked. 
For there are wider problems of the interpretation when it's read in the context of Matthew's gospel as a whole. Matthew never records Jesus referring to his brothers or sisters as anyone other than those who do the will of God by becoming his followers. It's particularly clear in Matthew 12:49 when Jesus is rather radically proposing that his new family are the disciples gathered around him, which of course includes women. Moreover, Jesus is clear that to follow him means to be homeless. In reply to a teacher of the law who wanted to follow him, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, and the birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's Matthew 8, verse 20, also in Luke chapter 9, verse 58. Now, in other words, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be like him. And it could involve living without a home, being a wandering stranger, reliant on the charity and provision of others. Now put that all together, they point to the least of these as not being the poor in general, but Jesus' own followers. Thus those on the king's right are people who have welcomed his poor followers and in doing so have welcomed Jesus. At the end of Jesus' second block of teaching in Matthew, which Matthew attaches to the sending out of the twelve in chapter 10, there's a very similar idea. Whoever receives the disciples, in effect, receives Jesus. And how they treat the disciples is, in effect, how they treat Jesus. Now those verses, Matthew 10, verses 40 to 42, do not have an exact parallel in the other Gospels. There is a similar saying in a different context in Mark chapter 9, verse 41. Now that's the closest Matthew gets to a Pauline or Paul's notion of believers as the body of Christ. And it is likely that Paul was shaped in this by the words he heard on the Damascus Road. Persecuting Jesus' followers, he hears Jesus ask, Why do you persecute me? So the division is not between those who care for the poor or don't care for the poor. Uh, there's plenty of encouragement to do that elsewhere in the Gospels. But it's about those who care for the followers of Jesus or don't do so. And in doing so, they reveal their attitude to the King himself. But the question is still, what has Jesus got against goats? Why in the narrative does he appear to use goats as the metaphor for those who neglect the needs of his people? Now first, we need to recognize the importance of mixed sheep goat herds in the Near East. Uh, you can That's reflected in some of the Old Testament narratives, such as Genesis chapter 32, verses 13 to 15, where herds are a sign of wealth and power. In richer pasture further west in the Mediterranean, the land is good enough to support single species herds. But further east, where the grazing land is scrubbier like it is in Israel, mixed herds are essential since the goats can graze the harder ground. Herding mixed flocks in resource and resource poor areas is helpful. The goats' non-selective diet and ability to independently forage harsher, scrubbier locations complements the sheep's requirement to graze more grass-rich habitats. 
Therefore, they efficiently exploit different portions of the same pasture. And more importantly, mixed herding not only ensures optimal pasture use, but it also preserves precious ecological resources. Too many of either species in a flock, sheep, or goat could mean the depletion and possible destruction of pasturage because a pasturage is normally shared with other herds or an inability to access adequate resources for flock survival. See, a, a careless shepherd would not only be putting their own livelihood at risk, but the livelihood of neighboring herders too. Consequently, keeping the right balance between goat and sheep, with sheep was essential for the preservation of pastures and the flock. It also has an economic rationale. A herd of around a ratio of two to three of goats and sheep ensured satisfactory wool production while maintaining herd security. Now, archaeological data suggests that the goat-sheep ratio within ancient Israel could be as high as eight to two, although more typically it would be like one to one or one to three. So what's the difference between sheep and goats? Goats are natural browning. That is, they like to eat the tender leaves of the trees, cut off the tips, and prevent their natural development. They eat the leaves, suckers, vines, young stems, and shrubs, even undergrowth. They actually eat it all. They can rise on, on their back legs to reach higher vegetation. They're very agile, they're independent, and they're very curious. They can also entirely survive in freedom and easily adapt to the environment without the need of a shepherd. But sheep, on the other hand, are grazing animals. They prefer to eat grass, legumes, and clover. They have a group mentality. A sheep separated from its flock will become very agitated and nervous and it may die. They need a shepherd. That explains why we have the parable of the hundred sheep in Luke chapter 15 verses 3 to 7. Now sheep have a reputation for being stupid and just sort of worthless. However, the sheep of today are a lot different than sheep as they were originally created. They have been selectively bred to produce fluffier, dumber sheep. But they are and have always been dependent on their shepherd, and they've always been defenseless. Goats, on the other hand, have a reputation for being independent, opinionated, and curious at best, and vulgar, dangerous, and destructive at worst. There are some fun quotes about goats from a livestock forum. If you leave goats in with your horse, they may chew off his tail. Another saying was, uh, my dad has described goats as Jack Russells with hooves. Or, if your fence won't hold water, it won't hold a goat. It's good for a person to be terrorized by a goat. It's hard to get high and mighty when there's something chasing you for vegetables. And there's about 50 testimonies of goats climbing and even budding cars. So I'd boil it down this way. Shepherds protect sheep from their environment. Goat herds protect the environment from their goats. So for us to be God's sheep, we must depend on him to defend us. If we push, 
take, destroy, or bully. We're goats. So having uh, briefly outlined some, some, some of the habits and differences between goats and sheep, I like to, I think it, this is a good time to consider whether spiritually speaking you're a sheep or a goat. Now, as for that, you have to evaluate with all honesty your behavior regarding your relationship and subjection to our Good Shepherd and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to take you back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, let me tell you a few things I've learned that you may not yet know. Because of specialization through breeding, sheep and goats in North America are easily distinguishable. North American sheep are fluffy and full of wool. Goats are not. However, throughout history and still today in parts of Asia and Africa, sheep and goats look just alike. And no one but a shepherd can easily tell the difference. So the application here for the parable would be that outward conformity, being part of the herd, isn't all that's required of us. There's something that only our shepherd can see in us. And that unseen thing tells God whether we're sheep or goats. It determines whether God sorts us to the left or to the right. Now that's something that worries me as I look around at the church. Let me explain what I mean because what I feel is needed now is the separation of the goats and the sheep in the church and discernment to recognize what's from God and what's not from God. But how do we do that? How do you tell the difference between the sheep and the goats in the church? And I believe I've found a way to do that. When I thought about the difference between sheep and goats, I didn't look so much at their appearance as their feeding habits and their predisposition. As I said before, goats can look like sheep, so appearance is not enough. Ultimately, it comes down to that. Sheep and goats eat very differently. Sheep are known for grazing. They eat vegetation like green grass, and when they eat, they eat at ground level, including the roots. They eat what is rich in nutrients. They tend to be more selective in what they consume. Goats eat a lot of things. They eat leaves, twigs, shrubs, hawthorns. They eat what is present on the surface, and they're not discreet in their eating habits, what may seem like an advantage turns out to be a disadvantage because much of what they consume is low in nutrients and potentially has chemical substances applied by man. For me, that's a prophetic image of what's currently happening in the body of Christ. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. 
and I know my sheep, and mine know me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's John 10, verses 14, 27. We know him by having a relationship with him. What does that have to do with the diet of sheep and goats? Well, everything. We live in a time when some within the church are navigators rather than pastors. There's a lot of surface consumption of what's convenient to eat. We take things in in an indiscreet way, which means we're spiritually eating what is offered, never discerning if it's nutritionally healthy and spiritually dense. Instead of investing in what is well-connected and rooted, rich in spiritual sustenance, we eat what's convenient even if it has thorns. Some are eating green vegetation, spiritually speaking, because it looks good, but is bound but is bound up with toxins from man, things that are not fundamental truths. There's a deviation from the gospel of Jesus Christ in some areas. The church is divided into hot topics in today's culture. It shouldn't be negotiable. And in the process, goats are infiltrating the herd. Listen, shepherds don't herd goats. Goats carry other goats. They do not know the shepherd. Let me be clear on something. If you are a sheep and you know the shepherd, Jesus Christ, you will not eat only what is offered to you. You'll go to the root and eat what is dense and provisioned for your spirit. You will not be satisfied by assuming a nature that is not your part. Now, we have a long-standing problem of allowing another church leader to read our Bible and study for us instead of searching the scriptures for ourselves and making sure that no other Jesus is priest. I'm fond of quoting Acts 17.11 about the Bereans who were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica and search the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. You know, the church is getting sick because we're ingesting low-nutrient words. Jesus guides the sheep, not the other way around. Now, Paul said that many would turn away from hearing the truth and would stray into their own fables. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. There are those who turn away from the faith by dedicating themselves to ungodly doctrines. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. What worries me about those passages is that this refers to those who knew the truth and voluntarily returned to eat something else. They were sheep, but they became goats. They settled for the privacy privacy of another and compromise their inheritance. You know, we live in a time when proclaiming the unadulterated word of God requires a willingness to consume it without hesitation, to live it without apology. And the old saying goes, you are what you eat. Now we have a great opportunity today to demonstrate we're sheep instead of goats. Now there's a separation that's going to happen. As darkness passes his hand, the sheep will make themselves known and rejoice in the knowledge that they have been feasted on what has brought great spiritual sustenance, holy truth, and deep intimacy with Jesus Christ. 
true sheep desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus and they're going to be persecuted for it. While wicked people and impostors will continue from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, we need to be fed on good grass and not leftovers. I urge you, follow the shepherd. Make the word of God your nutrient-rich meal. Listen to his voice, eat his word, and follow him. The main thing, though, the central difference between sheep and goats is really simple. It's an idea we can come back to when we need to stay on track. A sheep is led by its shepherd. A goat herd is led by his goat. Literally, sheep follow the voice of their shepherd and trust him to lead them to food, water, and safety. If they wander, which some do, the shepherd will go out and rescue them, bring them back to the safety of the flock. Sheep separated from their shepherd and flock are nervous and vulnerable because they have no defensive or offensive survival abilities. A goat, however, doesn't follow anyone. A herd of goats goes where it wants to go, and the goat herd follows behind. Instead of grazing, goats browse, foraging for whatever strikes their fancy. That tells us if we're allowing ourselves to be led, being sensitive to the pull of God's Spirit, and following the path of our shepherd, we're sheep. If we're headstrong, going our own way, and pulling back against God's Spirit, we're goats. So the thing that God sees in his sheep is a gentle and yielded spirit. They trust their shepherd. They follow his voice. On the other hand, goats have a spirit of defiance, self-will, and independence from God's involvement in their lives. So now that you know those things, how do you feel? Are you more of a sheep or are you more of a goat? Well, if you like me, there are days you feel more like a goat than other days. So is, is that it? Are we doomed? You know, what I see from all these concepts and what I think the analogy is meant to convey, convey when you know at least something about sheep is that it's something we can change right now. I can choose and you can choose to be led. You can learn to recognize the shepherd's voice and to trust it. There are three things you can do to help. Get into God's Word every single day. Whether it's a reading plan, a verse of the day app on your phone, or on your iPad, or on your tablet, whatever, or listening to Christian music in the car, or while you exercise, while you run, should make God's Word a part of your daily routine. Even if you just flip open your Bible before bed and read it for five minutes, do something and do it every day. Start small. Let it grow. The more familiar you make yourself with the voice of your shepherd, the more easily you're going to recognize it. Number two, second thing, take time to pray. Pray about everything. Little things, big things, silly things. Prayers don't have to be long or formal. When you see something beautiful, say, thank you, God. 
when you're moved to tears or giggles, just tell him about it. When you don't understand something, let him know. Develop trust in your shepherd. Share your fears, your hopes, and your needs with him. The third thing is take time for quiet. Take time to listen. When life gets chaotic and confusing and you don't know which path to take, pause and listen. What scriptures come to mind? Has God helped you with something similar in the past? Ask God to inspire you with His Holy Spirit. In my experience, if you ask, God always will. The more you pray and saturate your mind with God's words, the more you'll be able to recognize His voice above the voice of the crowd. Make the choice. Take the steps. Be a sheep. Don't be a goat. Thank you. Father, thank you. This has not been an easy lesson. It's not been an easy thing for me to research. But someone in the hearing of this, Father, needs to hear. I firmly believe that. I ask you to take your word to the world, Father, and use those who are listening to continue to do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Been a wonderful uh, 30 or so minutes. Thank you very much. Until next time, may God be with you.